0: Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Travis Hauser, PJ professional and father of two young boys. And the last few weeks, we've had a couple of cool interviews related to college golf. We had the interview with Chris Odinger, the head coach of Holy Names University, talking about the recruitment process. And then last week was Hayden Hui, who just graduated from UC San Diego, sharing his Division II college golf experience. So this week, we have a very interesting guest and topic, and the guest is Steven Yellen. He is the creator of the Fluid Motion Factor and author of his newest book, Simplicity.
1: Once a motion is grooved, that motion cannot break down. What breaks down is the ability to access it because m- motion memory, muscle memory does not break down. If, you, if it did, you'd have to learn how to walk every day or ride a bike or throw a ball or fly a kite or any kind of neuromuscular uh, motion. So what breaks down is the ability to access it. Now. The brain physiology has to experience a threshold level of wholeness in order to access your money in the bank, your muscle memory.
0: What I found interesting about The Fluid Motion Factor and his book Simplicity was that it's not about sports psychology. Sports psychology pertains to emotions, attitudes, beliefs, and self-confidence. The Fluid Motion Factor is a neurophysiological process in the mind that every golfer has to experience in order to produce a fluid golf swing. I've already put in some of the things I learned from his book into my practice, and it's already helped me a lot. Steven has had his program endorsed by PGA and LPGA Tour Professionals, and by one of the best golf coaches in the world, David Ledbetter. He has implemented his program not only into golf, but also into other sports including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and the NHL. This is going to be a great interview for you and put a whole new perspective on the way you think about golf. Steven, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Just finished your new book, Simplicity, and I'll tell you what, it really blew me away thinking in a new perspective, not only for my golf coaching, but also for me as a player. So I'm looking forward to this chat today. Great. Fire away. (laughs) Tell us, what exactly is the fluid motion factor?
1: Well, the fluid motion factor is a neurophysiological process in the brain that one, uh, any athlete, has to access in order to produce fluid motion. It consists, uh, well, i just sort of give you uh, just a little brief overview, sort of dummy it down just a little bit, but essentially... There's two parts of the brain that are um, really interesting in producing motion. One is the prefrontal cortex which is the front of the frontal part of the brain and it's also called the CEO of the brain. It oversees all processes in the brain and the other part of the brain is the motor system. Now when someone's in, someone initiates uh, for instance a golf motion, they have to initiate an intention a signal in the brain for the club to move or else the club does not move. So when that signal, during the 1.5 seconds it takes to swing a golf club, bypasses the prefrontal cortex, and of course this is happening in nanoseconds, bypasses the prefrontal cortex, which is the intellect, goes right to the motor system, it's the motor system which communicates with the body to produce motion. So the problem occurs is when the prefrontal cortex or the intellect goes online and Sort of delays that signal uh, in moving to the motor system. Then the body is looking for direction uh, from the mind because the body doesn't have any intelligence, and because there's so many processes going going on in the brain at that time, that's when the bulkier core muscles dominate the motion. So the the fluid motion factor is when the signal bypasses the prefrontal cortex, the intellect goes offline, and it, the signal goes right to the motor system.
0: So. How did you come up with this whole program, the Fluid Motion Factor? Like maybe take us back to the history of, of where this all started.
1: Well, before you were on the planet, Travis, in 1975. <laughs> were you on the planet in 1975? I was not, no. <laughs> not yet. You were upstairs contemplating what your life would be like. So uh, my background actually is not in golf. It's in tennis. Um, I had a good career in Florida Was state champ singles Uh, Won the uh, state championship, went on to play uh, singles at University of Pennsylvania, number one singles. But when I was a senior at Penn in a uh, very ordinary challenge match, I had this extraordinary zone experience. It was unlike anything that I ever experienced before in my life. And I was sort of in the middle of the food chain of national junior and national collegiate tennis. I would go to the um, Nationals every year, which in itself was, a, was an honor, win a couple rounds, but then, with, then I would be out. But for that one hour in this one tennis match, I had such a deep zone experience. I experienced what these top 10 players in the country experienced, what they felt. And the overriding experience was freedom. I was absolutely free to do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, and I sat down after the match, and I literally could not move for 10 minutes. I was so overwhelmed by the experience, and I absolutely had to figure it out why I had this experience, and I knew it was way below the radar, so I was on it for two or three days, um, just going over every aspect of that match from A to Z, and on the third day, I woke up, And I completely realized very clearly, black and white, no gray area whatsoever, why I had that experience. And so for the past 45 years, I've been developing a program that would allow other athletes to have similar kinds of experiences. Well,
0: that's so interesting. I was thinking about this when I was reading your book, and I actually had a moment like that as well. And it was my senior year of high school playing golf, and I just remember I don't remember exactly how I performed as far as, you know, swing changes or technique or anything like that, but I just remember everything feeling so easy and I feel like I could just execute the shots I wanted to hit. I remember I could feel like I could make putts that I needed to make, but now looking back on it, I haven't had that that feeling in a really long time. And after reading your book, I feel like there must have been something in there similar to what you talk about in your book and in your program that I had at that moment, so since then, since I finished your book, now I'm really
1: interested in how to get back to that. So the thing is, is most people, first of all, you have to access the fluid motion factor. It's not a, it's, it's not not sort of my take on things or my understanding. It's nature. It's science. Uh, just like the heart works one way, the kidneys work one way, the lungs work one way. Well, producing fluid motion uh, works identically for every athlete in every sport producing any motion. Now, with that being said, so what happened to you is you experience that process in around a round of golf by accident it wasn't by design you just slipped into it and this is uh, this is what happens it's accessible to everybody at any time but what usually happens is that you never know when it's going to show up you never know when you're going to get into that space that uh, it's just by chance it's absolutely just by chance but when you slip into it Oh my goodness! I don't have to tell you how magical it feels. It feels like you could do anything you want, and it feels ridiculously easy to do so. So then, what happens is you try, to, you try to figure out why you had that experience. And of course, the first place you look is the swing. Well, what was I doing, you know, with the swing? Where are my hands? What? Where was the club? What? what you know, any aspect of the motion. Well, you have gone to the wrong place. You have completely, 100%, gone to the byproduct of the experience. You did not understand why you had the experience. And why you had the experience is, for whatever reason, it really doesn't matter what the reason is, you were consistently accessing the fluid motion factor. Now, that arena from where zone experiences are generated from, the arena from where you had that zone experience, is a very subtle arena, completely, completely subtle. It has its own nuances. It has its own laws of motion. And if you violate the laws of motion, if you violate the nuances, you're going to be humbled in a second. And that zone experience is going to go as far away as it possibly can go. So what happens is that because golfers and uh, teachers and players cannot answer one question, they... um, they they look in the wrong place. And the question is very simple. How is fluid motion produced and why does it break down? Now, when someone has his own experience, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you are producing very fluid motion, correct? Yes. But you did not understand how it was produced and you didn't understand why it broke down. And that's what my book does. It gives two things. One, It completely explains how a zone experience is generated from, and two, it gives you a very simple program that would give you uh, your best chance, let's put it that way, there's no guarantees, to have those kinds of zone experiences.
0: Right. I think what we should do is kind of touch on some of these things that can help players touch on those zone experiences and get to the fluid motion factor. And starting with practice, because I'm a golf coach. I watch my students practice. I practice myself. And I know what I've done in the past. I know what my students have done in the past to practice. And from your experience, how do most people you see practice? And is that the right or wrong way of practicing?
1: Well, this is a very interesting subject, Travis. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. This is a very interesting subject. So, There are beginning golfers, there are intermediate golfers, and then there are good golfers, we could say, okay? Right. Now, a beginning golfer is learning emotion, and learning emotion is like saving money in a savings account. You want to save $10,000, so you start putting your money in the bank, $100, $200, finally you have your $10,000. Now, let's talk uh, that analogy, Uh, in terms of, uh, of golf. So a beginning student is sort of putting their money in the bank with a swing. They're practicing their swing. They're practicing their swing because they haven't repeated a good swing often enough. Now, with that being said, there is a certain experience that the brain physiology needs to have in order to produce fluid motion, even for a beginning golf student. And it has to do with experiencing wholeness. The brain physiology loves wholeness. What is wholeness? Wholeness is, can be defined as the togetherness of all the parts of the swing or the shot you're trying to produce. And you think a beginner can, can reach the wholeness? Uh, the beginner has to reach the wholeness in order to get better. Or else it'll be a very slow boat to China. <laughs> now, where, you're not in China. Where are you located?
0: Uh, well, I was in China, but I'm currently in Europe. I'm in Poland
1: right now. It's a very slow boat to Poland. Okay. <laughs> very slow. And why why it's a slow boat is that if the instructor does not set up an environment where the student can experience a threshold level of wholeness while working on a part of the swing, then it's an extremely slow boat to pole in. So what does that mean? Well, it means that when an instructor is working with a beginning player, he is telling them to get the club in a certain position. So he's isolating a position. Am I right or wrong? Right. Okay. Now, when you isolate a position and say, okay, Betty Sue, I want you to get the club in this position, then that part of the swing that the student is putting so much attention on they're going to break wholeness. They're not going to have a threshold level of wholeness in the brain physiology. So the other, this is why timing gets screwed up very, really quickly. So the other parts of, of, the, of the swing are sort of left behind. So, no, I need to get you need to get your hands in this position. No, you need to take it back like this. No, you need to set it at the club uh, at the top of this. No, this is how I want the club to come down. Uh, and this is where your body and the club and your hands should be at impact. You're isolating positions. The brain physiology is completely weakened when this happens. The brain physiology loves chunking. Chunking means putting uh, different parts of the motion together without isolating a specific, um, a specific part. Now, if, you, if an instructor is able to set up the environment, which is a very subtle environment, we're tiptoeing in, like when an infant is sleeping, you're tiptoeing in, you don't want to wake them up because wholeness is so easily broken. But if they're able to do it, which I teach instructors how to do, and instructors have had phenomenal success, they actually sometimes cannot believe the progress that a student makes, if you're able to set up that experience where the brain physiology maintains a threshold level of wholeness while you're working on a part, so you're killing two birds with one stone, so they can put their attention on a part, but they're not weakening their brain physiology. When they do so, then we're talking about, it's not a slow boat to China, we're talking about uh, F-16 crossing that big pond.
0: Would you say that beginners, intermediate players, and good golfers kind of go down the wrong rabbit hole of just chunking and working on specific parts of their game without focusing on the
1: wholeness? Uh, not That's not 100% correct. It's 1,000% correct, okay? <laughs> Why do you think players don't get better? Why do you think players go out there, think the answer is in the dirt, and their game gets worse? If that was the case, if if more practice equates to uh, higher performance, then whoever practices the most would get better, correct? Right, but it's not. Ask a few golfers if that's true.
0: Well, that's what they'll probably think at the beginning, but then if they actually look at it from a long-term perspective or compare themselves to the PGA Tour or even players who aren't on the PGA Tour that might have worked harder than some of those guys, they're not even
1: there, right? They are selling computers at Best Buy, okay? So you guys don't have Best Buy in Poland, right? You probably don't even know what Best Buy is. No,
0: but they have something similar. Okay.
1: You get get the message, okay? So what it is, is, is you have to ask yourself, now let's talk about advanced players. Let's talk about players who already have a good swing, okay? So the question is, all of you advanced players out there, Five hundred thousand, or whatever the number is. What's your game plan for getting better? Question number two. How do you think you're going to get better? What needs to happen? Okay. Now I'm going to tell you a story, Trevor. I work with a lot of very good players, players that have won major championships, players whose names everybody knows. And before I work with them, I sit down with them and I go give them an overview of how fluid motion is produced and why it breaks down. Then I ask them, I ask them this question. I say, uh, Trevor. I'm just picking a name out of the hat here, okay? Trevor, let's say you just had the best ball striking day you've had in six months and you walk off the course and someone comes up to you and asks you, Trevor, why did you play so well today? Could you fundamentally answer that question? And if they start talking about the swing, you just ask them, well, how come uh, when you missed a cut last week or the last five weeks, uh, you didn't access the swing? And so if you ask them enough, your good swing, if you ask them enough questions, they will say, I don't know. These are major championship winners, okay? Then that same player, right. um, the next day, goes out and he thought he was doing what he did the day before and has a miserable ball-striking day. And you ask him when he walks off the course, uh, Trevor, why didn't you play so well today? And he said, well, I don't know. I thought I was doing the same thing that I, um, I did before. I don't know. So you think about this, okay? here's the, Here's the scenario. These are professional golfers playing golf for a living. They're not too sure what happens when they don't when they play well, and they're not too sure what happens when they don't play play well. Do you think there mm-hmm. is a problem in that picture? Well, yeah. Could there be anything more tragic than that? Because they don't know what they have to do. They don't know, and we're talking about every player in the world, unless they've gone through this program, or S- or, L- or or unless they're a neurophysiologist and they can explain how fluid motion is produced. Do
0: you think that there's a lot of aspiring players that maybe make it to a professional level and they almost plateau because they get to that point where maybe they had the good round or they've had a couple of good months, they've had a few good tournaments, and then they just keep going back to something technical in their swing and they actually don't know what it was, why they were doing so well, let's say two or three months ago, and then they actually plateau and then just fall off and disappear? Uh, that's the majority. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting.
1: That's the majority. So what it is is that they think they played well because of their swing. This is a tragic, tragic understanding of uh, performance-level golf. Now, on one level, of course they played well because of their swing. If the golf club is hitting the ball, okay, and if the the golf club is swung correctly, you're going to hit the ball correctly, right? Right. But the golf swing does not control the golf swing. What does? Processes in the mind control the swing. So they are not familiar with the motherboard of the swing. They're just familiar with the swing. This is tragic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's actually ludicrous when you think about it. Now, we're not talking about sports psychology. We're not talking about attitudes, emotions, self-belief, confidence, or whatever. That's important. We're dialing down to the motherboard. And it's a very simple, it's a very simple picture. Did the prefrontal cortex capture the signal during the 1.5 seconds it takes to generate a golf swing, a golf motion, or did it not? Here's even a more basic understanding. Once a golf swing, uh, any motion, once a motion is grooved, that motion cannot break down. Okay, it cannot break down unless there's some kind of physical injury or unless there is some physical, uh, you know, something happened in the body. What breaks down is the ability to access it. Because m- motion memory, muscle memory, does not break down. If, you, if it did, you'd have to learn how to walk every day or ride a bike or throw a ball or fly a kite or any kind of neuromuscular uh, motion. So what breaks down is the ability to access it. Now, the brain physiology has to experience a threshold level of wholeness in order to access your money in the bank, your muscle memory. And there's only one reason, only one, Travis, not two, five, or a thousand, of why a professional golf swing breaks down, why it broke down yesterday for any of those players. Okay, And that is wholeness is broken. Wholeness was broken. Something dominated and overshadowed something else during the swing. And of course, as a result of that, Then there was a problem in the swing. Timing was off or, you know, whatever. So um, that's, you know, that's the bottom line. The buck stops there.
0: What is your opinion on swing thoughts? Because I think a lot of golfers, beginners, intermediate, even good players
1: lean on swing thoughts. I am completely neutral with swing thoughts. You want to have them fine. You don't want to have them fine. doesn't matter. Everyone's different. But you better put those swing thoughts in this golf smoothie blender, this golf blender we were talking about before. Remember the blender?
0: Yeah, I remember from the book.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right before you pull the trigger, you put all of your, what you want to do with the shot, what you want to do with the swing. You put it in a golf blender. You, you, you want to have a swing thought? Fine. You want to have four swing thoughts? Well, Lee Jansen and Jack Nicklaus did. Maybe more. Fine. Doesn't matter. But you better hit that blend button because if that swing thought is pulsating over anything else, you're playing blackjack at the Bellagio in Vegas, baby, because you don't know what card you're going to get. <laughs> you
0: hear a lot of coaches and parents tell to their kids and they say, okay, you need to focus more. You need to be more concentrated. Do you really need to have that much concentration and focus when playing golf then?
1: Well, Mr. Travis, you answer that question. When you had your zone experience, tell me how much focus and concentration you have. To be honest, I don't remember much. Yeah. da Hello. Okay. <laughs> Hello. You need probably 90% less than what you think you need. That's interesting. Yet You think that more concentration and focus will equate to lower scores, correct?
0: Well, that's what we've always heard or been told, right?
1: Well, that is completely wrong. From a neurophysiological perspective, not from a Stephen Yellen perspective, because you ask anyone who's had his own experience, who had a solid ball striking day, uh, and, and they have to say, you know, it was so simple. It was so easy. It was so effortless. They don't say, well, I had more focus that day than I had the other day. They'll probably say, well, I had less focus. But I don't really understand it. But it seemed to work.
0: You know, when I read that in your book, I started thinking about it. And I did exactly what you just asked me. And I related back to my high school experience. And to be honest, I don't remember being focused. I remember being focused probably my freshman and sophomore year. You know, I'm being nervous. I want to show the team that I can play. I felt like I had to focus and concentrate and my results actually weren't that good. But then by my junior and senior year, I look at my focus and concentration and it really wasn't that high. However, the results were a lot better. Now, granted, I did practice play. I had more experience. But when I got into what you call that that zone experience, yeah, I would definitely admit that my focus and concentration levels were quite low.
1: Well, what does that tell you, Travis? Yeah,
0: <laughs> tells me what I need to do next time when I go out and play
1: golf, that's for sure. It turns your golf understanding upside down. right And when someone goes through my program, I just work with the third ranked high school team in the country. Uh, probably two or three of these guys will, will at least get to uh, uh, maybe one or two actually will get to the PGA tour. The, you know the, the top six, their stroke ad- average is uh, under par and they're in high school. It completely turned their world upside down because they're thinking what separates me right now from a pro or a good d1 player college player they have more focus they have more concentration they have more determination than i do and that is absolutely incorrect absolutely
0: mm. incorrect so when somebody's out practicing or let's just say it's a practice around a plane what would you advise that they should put some attention on and steer away from what it sounds like too much of the technique or, or chunking some of the, the thoughts in the swing. Uh,
1: listen, it's, it's almost impossible for me to give like a golf magazine tip of the, of the month. Okay, okay, do this, do that. Because they need to be detoxed first. <laughs> they, have to, they have to go through a rehabilitation program. <laughs> Literally, you know, you're too young for this. But when people go through my program, it's like the Stephen Yellen slash Betty Ford Rehabilitation Center. You don't even know who Betty Ford is, do you? No. <laughs> she was the wife of President Gerald Ford, okay? What they're doing is they are practicing their swing. Now, if you have a good swing, muscle memory doesn't break down. So what you should what should you be practicing? You should be practicing accessing what you already own, okay? You should be not practicing, do you see the difference, okay? One is you're practicing your swing, meaning that You have to reinvent it. Make sure you're living in Checklist City every time you hit a ball. Understand?
0: Mm, All right. I think that's where most people usually are, (laughs) including myself in the past. I'll admit it.
1: You're in the wrong place, okay? Muscle memory doesn't break down. You have to learn how to access it. Now, you don't really know how to access it. I'm talking to you. You really don't. You sort of go out there and, you know, I mean, you're a good golfer. Obviously, you're a professional, but you don't understand the inner dynamics, and you certainly don't have a, a systematic way of accessing. No. Now, that's what you get. That's what you get when you buy my book, Simplicity. You'll get that. But I'll just give you, uh, if I had to give advice to somebody, which is you're asking, I will give this advice, okay? You hit a ball to no target, and then you hit a ball to a target, and you see if there's any difference in the swing. And you practice that until there is no difference in the swing. Now you're starting to practice accessing what you already own. Mm-hmm. Because um, first of all, the target's not your friend. The target is your enemy. That's quite a statement, isn't it? It is not it thats Do you need a few seconds to recover on that one?
0: <laughs> you know what? I actually read it twice in your book. So when I stopped and paused and thought about it, it actually starts to make some sense. And actually a lot of sense, to be honest.
1: That's right. Okay. Uh, the target is your enemy because it wants to break wholeness. It wants all your attention. Pay attention to me. It's like a two-year-old kid in a restaurant. Pay attention to me, mommy. Come on. Because let me ask you these two questions, and you can reflect on them before you answer if you wish, okay? Okay. Uh, are you going to forget where the target is? No. Is the target moving? No. So why are you making it the star of the show? You'll always remember where the target is. Your alignment is going to dictate where you hit the ball, not the target. So the target, more than any element of the swing or the shot, the whole shot, the whole environment in the shot, wants to break wholeness. So why are you putting so much tension on it? You know, you think of the mm. second ball syndrome. Practice round, middle of the fairway, perfect lie, perfect club, no win. Licking your chops, take out your your nine iron, you miss the green, okay? Uh, drop a ball and discuss, you stick it three feet. Where was the target on the first shot? Where was the target on the second shot? Same place. But it was buried, if you're living in the United States, in Warsaw. <laughs> And if you're living in Warsaw, it was buried in Miami. So the target is buried. It's buried. It's it, it's uh, 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 the first shot. Okay. It's it's pulsating like the lights outside of the Bellagio Hotel. Okay. It's pulsating. It's pulsating. It's oh yeah. I'm getting it close. I'm getting it close. Let me focus in on the target. And what happens? Well, the target breaks wholeness. So your your, your swing cannot be synced. The second shot. Oh, whatever. Okay. And guess what? You start living in that whatever world and you're sticking at three, four feet. This is what happens when you had a zone experience. Now you think about your zone experience. You think the target was pulsating or you think the target was just buried because I knew where it is anyway. Yeah, it's buried. Well, how come you're not practicing like that? You're actually practicing the opposite. When people practice, they give themselves a report card in every shot they hit. Every shot they hit, it's report card city. I got it close to the target. That's an A. I, got it. I missed it. That's a C. I got it somewhat close. That's a B plus. So they're making the targets start a show on every shot. This is for 40 years of practicing, right? So then right. They, they go on the course. Don't you think the target is start pulsating like nobody's business because that's how they practice? Why do, right. you, why do you think they, um, they're not getting better? For the most part. Most golfers don't get better. They stay the same or they get a little worse. Okay, Am I right or wrong? You're right. Yeah, for sure you are. So why? I'm telling you why. 100 <laughs> percent yeah they're focused on the target right that's one of the main things here's how they're practicing let me see how systematically i can break wholeness so sinking my swing is challenging that's that's the reality of the situation
0: you think that's what players think the reason for hitting bad shots is
1: no it's, it's not what i think travis okay it, it's, this, is, this is science. This is, this is, one doesn't think that gravity works like this or boiling water works like this. It's a law of nature. The brain physiology is a machine, okay? It's, it's like the heart. The cardiologist, when the heart doesn't stop, starts working not properly, he doesn't think, well, I think this is the problem. Well, no, they, they do an MRI. They do a CAT scan. They do all of this. They look at all of this. Well, you know, your aorta valve is, is screwed up. Now he's not saying to, well, I think it's messed up. No, he's got the evidence. So it's exactly, if you speak to a neurophysiologist, they're going to say the same thing. So it, it, it's it, this is not my program. I didn't come up with this. This is how it. This is science. It's laws of nature. So you know, and I tell people, I when they go through the program, I say, look, hey, this is not my program. I may be clever. I'm not the creator. Okay, I didn't. Right. I didn't design how fluid motion is produced. But this is how it's produced. So if you align yourself with it, you're going to play better. If you go against these laws of motion, you're going to suffer. And unfortunately, most golfers suffer.
0: You know, when I read that in your book about the problem with focusing so much on the target, there was a recent review from the 2020 US amateur champion, Ty Strafaji. And one thing he said was in the last two rounds, he wanted to improve his putting because he thought, and the first few matches, his putting wasn't so good. And somebody asked him, he said, okay, so what did you do to improve your putting? He said, you know, I just stopped focusing so much on the hole and stopped focusing so much on the target.
1: Hello, do we have anyone home? Okay. Hello. This is exactly it. But w- what what do golfers do, especially with putting, is that ho- they're focusing on that hole like nobody's business, you know? And, you know, of course, there's some instructors who understand this. And say that's not a good idea, and they're a little ahead of the curve. Uh, but if, and if, but if they understood from a neurophysiological perspective why it's not a good idea, it would make their teaching more powerful and more effective.
0: No, I totally agree. You touch on swing prison, and people get in and swing prison. Would you be able to share any stories of some players you've worked with that you that you would say were definitely in swing prison, and you helped them get out of it with the fluid motion factor?
1: Travis, are you in swing prison?
0: I think I've always been in swing prison.
1: <laughs> would you like to share your story? I can go ahead.
0: So I say for myself is going up to high school golf again. My senior year, I was playing quite well. Handicap was a 0.5, and I was struggling to get looked at from universities. Mm. Now at that point, I would say that I was had those zone experiences and. Since then, I thought the problem with my game was that my swing wasn't good enough to get into college. And I would say since then, I have focused primarily on my golf swing and not so much on some of the other elements of golf, such as, you know, tactical decisions, some might say even parts of the mental game, and especially just how I practice on the driving range. And I think I have been in the Checklist and what you call the uh, scorecard driving range practice. So, because of that, I haven't really been able to get out of that and take my game to the next level.
1: Do you think you've reached your potential as a golfer?
0: No, I still think I have a lot more.
1: What are your aspirations?
0: That's a great question. I think at this point, I would like to be able to play golf competitively because I have a strong interest in it. And I also want to get my game at a better level just because I'd like to set a good example for my kids.
1: Again, from a neurophysiological perspective, you will have your best chance of reaching your goals and aspirations in golf if you're experiencing more wholeness during the golf swing and you understand how to do that. You become more consistent. So that is my suggestion. And of course, I will be remunerated accordingly. (laughs) Not enough. So a few stories. Well, there was a major champion um, who um, won a big tournament, one of the four majors. And after he won that, he never won again on the PGA Tour. Actually, I could think of two players like that, right? Okay. Um, I won't name any names. And what happened to one of them, he had a really funky swing, but he won a couple majors with it. And someone got into his head, well, if you can only do this with your swing, you'll win more majors. He bit the bullet, and he never won again ever, not, a, not just a major, any PGA tournament, because he became enamored and fixated and a prisoner of, if I can just make this one move mentality. So that one move became the star of the show. It continually broke wholeness. When wholeness is broken, it's impossible to sink the swing. You cannot sink the swing consistently you may get away with it uh you know occasionally but hey if you're not shooting in the 60s on the pga tour you ain't gonna survive right and certainly Mm -hmm. if timing is compromised and you're not getting the ball close and you're not giving yourself a chance to make putts forget it you don't have a chance out there so i mean there literally there are hundreds of stories travis of players who thought they were going to get better if they if they, they they lived in that if I could only world if I can only get the club in this position if I can only do this if I can only do that because their understanding of how they they were going to get better is if my swing gets better yet there's really nothing wrong. I mean there may be something you know that could be improved if you did a video analysis and you really filed down to the nth degree. Is this ideal? Is this something that you would want to teach someone to do? Well, not really, but they have managed to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and have good timing with it and win. So when you bite that bullet, when you ha- when you, ta- you you just take one step in that world of temptation, you are jeopardizing your career. and many um, most, 90% of them have lost when they when they took that gamble Mm. you took it right you lost yeah it's true you didn't have to obviously you're a talented golfer you haven't reached your potential you were in swing prison it ain't a pretty place to be and there's no reason how old are you travis 36 okay you're you're still in the prime of your golf career if you were to map out an ideal scenario over the next two or three years, what would it be?
0: I'd say number one would be play more golf. <laughs> I got two young kids, so that that's oh, uh, oh. that's been a challenge. But I would say number one, yeah, definitely play more golf and be able to spend more time practicing with my kids. And then I would like to be able to consistently shoot. I would say one two under par to one to two over par. I would say that that general range I would be content with, and I'd be happy if I was playing with students. I'd be happy if I was playing at tournaments and I'd be happy if I was playing with my family at that target score.
1: I think they're all reachable.
0: Right. No, I totally agree. If parents, you know, this podcast, we've got a lot of parents and players and we've got coaches as well that listen. I would start with the parents. Before taking your program what would be some advice you'd have to help their kids with their practice sessions? And let's just say their kid is an intermediate to good golfer.
1: Well, again, you know, you're, gonna, you're not going to get a profound answer on this. You're going to get a superficial answer because they need to go through the program. You know, it, it, it's building a building from the ground up. And if the foundation is, is not secure, and by the way, those parents, the, your kids can go through the program online. I, I have an online program. So wherever you live, you can learn the program. And we'll give you contact information at the end. So for the, for, for the parents, it's important for the parents to have this understanding because they're in swing prison too. They're thinking, uh, especially if they're golfers, they're thinking their kids are going to get better when their swing gets better. Now, for a certain percentage of young golfers. Yes, that's true. There are definitely serious mechanical issues in that swing. And that's why, you know, they come and take lessons from you, you know, but let's say they have a workable swing, you know, a workable swing. You understand what a workable swing is. It's not ideal, but it can get the job done, right? Absolutely. Okay. So practicing, they need to start practicing accessing what they already own. Okay. They don't need to start practicing their swing. This is a huge, huge paradigm shift because then the swing becomes the star of the show. So what are they doing on the range? Every every swing is a report card on the swing, either by the parent or by the child or by usually by both. Then they get on, you know, there's two sports. There's range golf and there's golf. It's, it's, it's like hockey and tennis. This is what Ben Hogan said. And because you've got fifty balls, you got a hundred balls, or whatever. There's really no ramifications for hitting a bad shot, and then you go on the course. It's one ball. Oh my! It's like a different. You're you're like going from you know Earth to Mars. It's a completely different environment. So what they need to do on the range, first of all, they have to make the shift, which is not an easy shift to make unless you go through the program because it's counterintuitive, because everyone feels. I'm going to get better when my swing gets better. Therefore, I'm going to work on my swing every chance I get. Correct? Right. Obviously. So they have to understand that practice should be – they should be practicing accessing what they already own, not accessing the swing, but accessing the processes that allow them to access the swing, okay, to allow them to replicate the swing. Now, without going – um, I mean, they'd have to go through the program that it, again, we're building a building, but if I just have to, you know, give them, okay, can you give them some advice? That's what you're asking, Stephen, Give right. them some advice. All right. Don't leave right. them hanging on the edge of a cliff, <laughs> right? Send right. them a lifeline. All right. Okay. So they should just try this. All right. Have them hit balls, as I said before, to a target and then no target, to a target and then no target. And initially what they'll, and you do this too, Travis. Okay. And initially what they'll find is that when they have a target, the swing is not as free, right? Would you agree? I would agree. Just intuitively. Right. All right. Then they swing without a target because after all, it doesn't matter where you go. The whole range is your target. And of course the ball goes where you're lined up if they have a repeatable swing. And then they're think then it's like a revelation. Wow. I'm not used to having so much freedom in my swing. I'm not used to hitting the ball so solid without thinking about the target. Then starts the detox rehab process, okay? And, and you know, it, it's uh, it's a process. It's, it's a process. So you have them do that for 10 minutes, 20 minutes or whatever. And Because the goal is to swing as freely with a target as you do without a target, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what you're doing is you're culturing the mind to be more familiar with that space of how it feels to hit without a target. That's the space you want to live in. This is what the kid who won the USM, that's the space I want to live in. Let's make believe there's no hole there. How would it right. feel? Let them do the same thing with putting. You put to no target, then you put to the hole. You put to no hole, then you put to a hole. And then all of a sudden, it starts dawning on you Geez, I'm in prison when when I have a target. Well, I don't want to feel like that. And not only that, they start hitting the ball better without a target. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, how do you how do you balance out this practice and the process of of golf where let's say you go to a golf lesson your golf coach teaches you 90% technique in the lesson. The parents ask, okay, what did you do in the lesson? The coach gives the parents some feedback and the parent go, w- goes and watches the kid practice. You know, h- how do you balance that as a player and how do you balance that as a parent when you're trying to help your kid improve in the game?
1: Look, we're talking about two u- two, two different universes here, Travis. Okay. You know, this is this is a paradigm shifting instruction. This is a complete different understanding of how I'm going to get better so without going through and building a foundation th- there's no answer to that question there's, there's no you can't you can't put a band aid on this you got to go in, through surgery Band-aid's not going to solve the problem and again a, a a person who's learning the game they have to learn correct mechanics they have to because unless you're this unbelievably gifted golfer which there are some of them who pick up a club and in 1 hour you're looking at their swing and say where the heck did that come from cuz they're getting in positions the right positions I mean you know what I'm talking about right
0: yeah no for sure i mean i've seen a lot of players like that but Generally, they play a lot of other prior sports and have a lot of concepts. That's right. right.
1: That is correct. Okay. So, how do you balance that out? You cannot balance that out unless you go through my program. So, I'm not even going to at attempt to answer that question, because, <laughs> because because it would be it would it would be doing a disservice. I, I've answered all your other questions, right? Right. No, for sure. But that one is it is, you know you can't put a band aid on someone who needs open heart surgery, okay? You gotta go in there and do the open heart surgery.
0: We've talked a lot about practice, a little bit about some course play, but what is it about practice and course play that doesn't always translate
1: well to tournament play? What is it about practice play that doesn't translate into tournament play? Well, what are you practicing? You're practicing the wrong thing. You're practicing reinventing something you don't have to reinvent. You're practicing your swing. You're practicing positions. You're practicing things very concrete that are already there. And so when you practice the way most people practice, then you're culturing the mind to be concrete. You're using very concrete criteria. Hit the target, get the club in the right position, flight the ball exactly like this. It's very concrete, very concrete. When you use concrete criteria, you're culturing the mind to be concrete. The mind needs to be abstract when it plays well. Abstraction and wholeness are the same thing. So you're practicing like with a red shirt, a red shirt, a red shirt, and then all of a sudden you go on the course, you have to have a white shirt. You It's very difficult. If you're culturing the mind to be concrete for for 15 hours during a whole week of practicing, with when, when and the mind is weakened when it's concrete, and then then tee it up on the first tee and all of a sudden have the mind abstract where you're not breaking wholeness. Good luck. Good luck. Most of the time you can't do it. And that's mm. that's why people cannot take their range swing to the uh, to the course. They just can't.
0: Right. And you say that translates as well into tournament play
1: as well. A hundred percent. Okay. A hundred percent into tournament play.
0: What if you practice all these things and you've even used the fluid motion factor in your practice on the golf course, but then you go to like, let's say, a big and important tournament and maybe it doesn't go as well as you thought it would. <laughs>
1: Well, first of all, you've broken wholeness. You've given yourself the best chance. You've given yourself the best chance, but you've broken wholeness. So what happens is that there's a barrier to access what you already own. You you can do it on the range. You went through the let's say you went through the fluid motion factor program and you were practicing abstractly, and you understand, understood that wholeness needs to be experienced, and you weren't using such concrete criteria, and you go to the go to the course. And you screw it up. That's your uh, the tournament. That's your question, right? Right. Well, then there's only there, there's one weird one word that describes why you didn't play well. Fear. Fear blocks the mind from accessing deeper levels of silence. Now every athlete has fear to a certain degree, but if it passes a threshold level of wholeness, or passes a threshold level, then wholeness cannot be experienced during the swing. So you cannot access what you already own and. You have to ask yourself. You know, I came up with five reasons why athletes have fear: fear of failure, fear of success, not comfortable in your own skin, not worthy, and playing for somebody else. So you have to have a come to Jesus meeting, and look yourself right in the right in the mirror, and um, be very honest with yourself, and understand where that fear came from. One of those five things. That's where it came from.
0: That's interesting. So you would say even tour players still hold one of those five.
1: why tour players don't break through. has nothing to do with their game. They all have the game. If each one of them can uh, access what they already own on a regular basis, you would have um, one player winning uh, every three years because everyone's going to be winning.
0: I was just scrolling through just collegiate players' results from the last few years from some of the top schools. And if you actually look at their average scoring... Across the board, I would say average scoring is the best I've seen was maybe high 68, 69. And most of those players are averaging right around par. And you'd be surprised, though, then how many of those players actually funnel into professional golf. And at some point, they were just as good as the other person, but one guy made it and the other didn't.
1: That's right. One guy had less fear. That's it. Nothing to do with the game. You reach a certain level of skill. Okay, it's good enough to win. I'm good enough to win, whether it's high school, college, or professional golf. It's done. You can't get thirteen ounces in a twelve ounce cup, glass. It's done. Now it come it comes down to the point, can I access can I access that twelve ounces? I don't need thirteen ounces. Okay. First of all, you can't put thirteen ounces in a twelve ounce cup. So the ones who win, you know, who won yesterday? John Rom. Yeah, in a playoff, that you know, kind of a lucky putt, you know, ridiculous putt. Um, <laughs> but so was uh, DJs on eighteen. Okay, regulation. So what it is is that who has the least amount of fear, and we're talking about nanoseconds at the top of the swing, maybe one one hundredth of a second when in the transition. Who is not breaking wholeness in the transition? That's who's going to win. That's it. Right. That's it
0: and going back to the USM champion Ty Strafacci another thing he said was was when he got to that final match he thought he felt like he was playing on the house's money and just felt quite free because he'd already made it to the championship match
1: uh what do you mean house's money
0: so basically he he meant like in in like a gambling term right like so he's yeah 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 he's already earned he's already earned enough money to cover his investment into Right into it, and now he's he's just playing on what he would consider like free money, essentially, right? And so he was in that that final match, and he wasn't even expecting to get to that that far. Hello, but just the fact that he's in that final match, he felt like he was he felt free because he was playing on the house's money,
1: and right. Guess what? He won the tournament. Guess what? He better be careful now. Why is that? Because he's going to try to repeat that, and then wholeness is going to be broken. Wholeness can be broken by anything. Okay. So if he, if he feels, "Hey, I just have to focus a little bit more, I have to concentrate a little bit more. Look how well I did in the US. I want it. You know, That's dangerous territory. So mm. um, you know, that's a whole other issue. level of acceptance. If your level of acceptance is too low, watch out. Now his level of acceptance on a, one, a scale of one to 10 was 10. All right, whatever. Hey, look, this house is money. It's not even my money. I shouldn't be here. You know, I'm lucky to be here. And then when you start having a low level of acceptance, oh, I have to win. I have to play well. I have to make the cut. I have to to hit this shot. Then wholeness can be broken in a nanosecond and you are humbled instantly.
0: What you talk about in the book and just from what I've read and researched about the fluid motion factor is just such an interesting, I'd say, concept because I feel like I've been engulfed my entire life and I feel like I've touched on a lot of different aspects of the game, but this one definitely opened my eyes and I was impressed with the information that I read in your book, Simplicity. So where can people find your book and start digging into this, I would call, new area of the game for most people?
1: Well, there's a small company called Amazon, so... (laughs) They could buy it on Amazon. Uh, They should also check out my website, fluidmotiongolf.com. fluidmotiongolf.com. And they can go through the program online. You know, the book is good. The program online is better. Uh, Lessons or the program with me in person is the best. And that's just logical. So I hope they buy it. It'll change their game. It'll open up their eyes. Did it open up your eyes, Travis? It did. Good. Good.
0: Yeah. No, that's perfect. Now, before we finish, I'd like you just to share some final words of inspiration for raising
1: golfers. Believe in yourself. Doubt kills. Know also that your golf swing is probably good enough to get the job done. You know, you ask yourself a question if I could access what I already own now, would I be a happy camper? Most golfers would say yes. So don't think that your, your swing has to be magically perfect to play good golf. No. What has to be magically perfect is your timing. You can put together bad parts, and if the timing is there, you're going to get the job done. You can have good parts, and if the timing is not there, oh, boy, you're going to be a mental and physical wreck at the end of the round. So don't think you have that much farther to go. You probably don't. Start believing in yourself and uh read my book asap of course i make a few dollars on it but it will change your golfing it could change your golfing life and for many kids growing up when i can relate to this because i was in sports all my life when that changes your life changes so you'll gain more confidence and enjoy things and play better that's my advice
0: Perfect. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Well, it was it was a lot of fun chatting with you today. I really enjoyed it. And even after reading your book, just talking with you today, you made me think about some more things just about myself and my game and also about my students and how I can talk to them about other things in the game of golf besides just technique and tactics, fitness, nutrition, and mental game. And now I'm going to dive deeper into this, this topic of the game of golf. And I sure hope a lot of other people listening will as well. So thanks again for coming on, Steven. Really appreciate it.
1: Travis, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed myself.
0: Wow, that was a lot of fun with Steven. I mean, I read his book, but after talking to him just now on the podcast, it really started to sink in with me and made me realize that I need to start changing the practice programs I do for myself and start thinking of how to change the practice programs for my students. And if you're a parent or a player out there, I think you need to start thinking about how you can help your children progress in the game of golf much more than just focusing on elements of the golf swing and technical areas, because I think there's so much more out there for us to think about. And like Steven said, you have to access what you already own. I mean, I've been playing golf for 30 years and I know that I have a decent swing where at least I can get around the golf course and try to fight to shoot level par. But I'm still out there tinkering with my swing and focusing on just the small bits and i'm not accessing any wholeness in my swing and i'm out there on the driving range doing this driving range scorecard where i'm giving myself a grade for every shot and i need to free myself up and before i go out and play some tournament play i'm gonna address what my fears are i mean he talks about the five different areas that golfers have fears And if you don't address what those fears are, how are you gonna overcome them? How are you gonna get past that? How are you gonna improve your golf game? And you can practice as much as you want in the right way. You can train on the golf course by yourself, play around a golf as much as you want, and that can still be in the right way. But once you get to a pressured tournament, or pressured play with your buddies, it can completely change. And you have to really get your mind in the right place. And I just love what he talks about in the book, Simplicity and digging into the fluid motion factor for me it's just this whole new concept that's blown my mind and i hope that you dig in a little bit deeper and my challenge to you is to go out get his book read it and i want you to start to apply some of these things and methods into your practice and your play and let me know how your progress is coming along i wish you all the best of luck If you enjoy listening to our podcast and the information you got from this episode, do us a favor and continue to support us by hitting that subscribe button and giving us a five-star review. Your continued support will help us continue to grow and be able to interview some of the most experienced parents, coaches, and players in the golf industry to help you continue to raise your golfer to their full potential.